let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, thank you uh, again for the privilege of coming together to to worship you, to lift up our our voices in song and prayer, and to hear your word proclaimed, and to fellowship with one another. And God, just what a what a privilege it is. Uh, you have established your church, you build your church, and we come together uh, and benefit each other, and Lord, we uh, get the great privilege of worshiping the the God of the universe, the creator of all things. God, I just pray that you would be with us as we uh, study, as we consider how to interpret your word, that we God, just we we realize your uh, work throughout all of history in redeeming your people, uh, in orchestrating all of the events of history. Uh, God, um, truly your word is truth, but um, all of reality is your truth. It is uh, your testimony to us. And uh, God, I just pray that we would just be able to Uh, think correctly, that we would be able to uh, organize our thoughts in such a way that we come to correct conclusions. And God, we know that that is honoring to you because you are a God of truth. And uh, God, we are just in ourselves so bent to distort the truth. And so we need your assistance. We need the, the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to change us, to enable us to to grasp all of these things that you have set before us. And um, God, I just pray that you would do that so that your church would be sanctified and that your name would be glorified. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we are continuing our study on how to study the Bible. To remind everybody where we've been, um, we've talked about why it's important to do serious study of the Bible. We've talked about the role of the Holy Spirit in properly interpreting the Bible. Uh, we've talked about the the goal of um, of the endeavor we're talking about is that it's finding the meaning of the text. Um, we have talked about identifying different genres, uh, looking at historical narrative and didactic and poetry and various things like that and how those things affect the interpretation. Uh, We've looked at the idea that scripture interprets scripture, that we uh, use the whole counsel of God as we consider how to interpret uh, individual texts. Uh, We've talked about context, um, just looking at um, what is the surrounding information in the text we're looking at, what is the flow of thought, uh, just all of that information helps inform us on how we interpret a text. And then last time we looked at uh, the original languages and uh, kind of how we can deal with that, especially as people who by and large cannot read the original languages, how to use uh, translations and compare translations and things like that. Um, This morning, we're going to talk about historical context. Um, I mentioned um, in a previous lesson that um, that what what is typically used to identify the method that we use is is often called uh, 
dramatico-historical interpretation. So, um, as we've talked about in the past, the you know the grammar is obviously very important as we interpret the text, but so is the history. Um, history is um, is very important um, because it can be very easy for us to. Um, misread something because it comes from a different time period. Now, there's a technical term for that. Um, it's called anachronism. Um, and it's basically when you take certain thoughts or ideas um, from your own time and you, you read them back into something uh, that was written at a different time where uh, there were different thoughts and ideas that were present, different knowledge, different, different common knowledge, uh, common knowledge about things such as geography or uh, political figures or literature or any number of things that would have been just common knowledge to the people that a particular work was written to um, and that from our perspective we we don't know and so the author would write things in a way where they just expected the audience to know these things and they didn't have to go into detail explaining them but when we are hundreds or even thousands of years removed from the writing of a particular work, um, we can just miss those things and we can wind up interpreting things incorrectly. Um, another thing that often comes up is uh, our approach to science. Uh, we live in a very uh, scientifically uh, technical age where a great deal of scientific precision is used in a lot of our discussions um, and a great deal we've had thousands of years of accumulated knowledge of the way things work scientifically um, unfortunately um, the history of science has not uh, has not really curbed the hubris of modern-day scientists um, you would think that they would look back at um, all of the mistakes that scientists have made in previous generations and say, well, maybe we haven't got everything figured out yet either. And future generations might laugh at some of our ideas, but usually that's not the case. Usually they just say, oh, well, we've got it all figured out. We know exactly the way it works. Except for, you know, some minor details, we've got it figured out. Nobody's ever going to laugh at what we think. Um, but uh, I think that, you know, Probably in you know a few hundred years, people will look back at our time and say, mm, "Yeah, they they were kind of confused on some things." Um, but we have to understand that um, the the Bible was not written for 21st century scientific people, and if it had been written in a way that would please the scientific community today with the scientific precision, then people in the ancient world would have, they would have just been scratching their heads when they looked at it because they would have understood a large percentage of what's written because they just don't have the context for it. Um, so uh, it's important to understand that the Bible does not contain scientific errors, but it is written for a, a people that have a different perspective on science. Um, and so it's not going to have that technical precision that we might expect from things that are written today. Um, so those are all reasons why it's very important um, that we have a, a grasp of historical context when we approach the Bible. Now one thing that, um, that is interesting is that 
the Bible is a book that is based in history. Um, it's interesting. If you look at uh, a lot of other uh, holy books from various religions, um, quite frequently they are not uh, even attempting to be based in history. Um, oftentimes they are uh, a collection of platitudes or wisdom sayings um, or you know the teachings of some great teacher. Um, and they will um, present things where it's ideas that you know that are either true or false in and of themselves and don't really have any connection to whether even if the person lived or not. Um, but when you look at the Bible, um, and I'm assuming that most of you have you know spent a fair amount of time with the Bible, you know that there's vast sections of the Bible that are describing historical events. Uh, if you read through you know the Old Testament, you will see just just vast swaths of history that are covered, uh, talking about you know uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and the, the twelve sons of Jacob and. Uh, and you'll see, you know, the the various kings of, of Judah and Israel. You'll see all these historical things. You look at uh, the New Testament, and you see the historical accounts of, of Jesus and the apostles, and you know, a great deal of discussion about you know different rulers in different parts of the world uh, during these times. Um, it's all very grounded in history. There's lots of references made to geographical locations. Um, just all sorts of things that just really grounded in history. Now, interestingly, um, there is a uh, a book for a, a different religion that makes an attempt at this, uh, makes an attempt at being grounded in history, but really uh, fails pretty badly. Um, any of you who have ever studied Mormonism at all, you will know that they have, uh, well, I mean, Joseph Smith, the, the founder of Mormonism, uh, wrote a great deal about the history of things that happened in the Americas uh, before the Europeans came over here. And um, studies of those things have turned out that he basically just made it all up, that it was all just fanciful stuff. Um, there's no real corroboration with the study of archaeology um, and the, the things in the Book of Mormon. Whereas it's very fascinating to see, and I'm, I'm sure many of you have seen some of this stuff, when people do archaeological research and uh, historical research where they look at old writings and things like that, uh, that come from the regions that are discussed in the Bible, uh, there's just an amazing amount of correlation that we find. Um, there have been entire civilizations that at certain points in history, people have said, well, they probably didn't even exist even though the Bible talks about them, they're just you know an invented thing. And then later, um, I mean, one particular example is uh, the city of Nineveh. Uh, at a certain point, people said, "Well, the city of Nineveh, that you know, that doesn't exist. Um, that never existed. That's just something that's just invented in the Bible, not based in history." Um, and since then, the city of Nineveh has been discovered, and it had a large library, and they were able to get the library and read a bunch of stuff in it and find out a whole bunch of stuff about the city of Nineveh uh, just because that was discovered. So um, that's something that happens a lot. And, you know, and that's that's very confirming for our faith in the truthfulness of the scriptures. Um, but it also is useful as we attempt to interpret the scriptures. Um 
there are a great number of things um, that are written um, or discoverable in some other way outside of the Bible that help us to interpret particular things that are in the Bible. Um, it's also true that a great deal of historical context can be gained from the Bible itself. You don't simply have to go outside of the Bible to attempt to use historical context in your interpretation. There's some examples that are just so glaringly obvious that we kind of just overlook them and don't even think about the fact that we're considering historical context uh, when we're looking at those things. One thing in particular is if you look at the epistles in the New Testament, you look at the writings of Paul and the writings of, of Peter and James and the, the other apostles, and then you look at the Gospels. Well, the Gospels provide the historical context for the epistles. Uh, there are many things that are written in the epistles that we might scratch our heads about if it wasn't for the fact that we could just go look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we could see the historical account of the life of Jesus. Um, so that's a that's a very simple, just inside the Bible way that we use historical context. Um, and it's, I mean, it's definitely something that we need, we need to keep in mind when we're interpreting the scriptures. If you're reading a passage um, in, um, you know, in one of Paul's letters, and it seems to make some reference to something in the life of Christ, it's a good idea to see, well, do the Gospels talk about this and go and try to get the extra details? Um, and one example might be, suppose you're, you're looking at um, 1 Corinthians 7, and there's discussion about marriage and divorce and stuff like that. It's like, And there's even like references to the fact that Jesus talked about some of these things. Um, well, you might want to go back to the Gospels, because there's a handful of occasions uh, throughout the Gospels where Jesus addressed these things. And so you can get a fuller picture as you're attempting to interpret 1 Corinthians 7, by looking at what Jesus said about those topics. Um, another clear example is you look at the Old Testament. There's a bunch of Old Testament history. Um, and if you look at the prophets, the prophets, there's a lot of stuff going on there that kind of requires an understanding of the history of the people of Israel. Um, also, just the Old Testament as a whole provides a lot of historical context for the New Testament. Um, so there's, there's lots of stuff inside the Bible that will help us with um, interpreting things just by giving us historical context. Now, it does seem that when we consider the topic of sources outside the Bible, that there can be some misunderstanding, there can be some kind of extreme views. Um, there are some views that uh, will go so far as to basically put um, historical sources and things like that um, in, a, in a position of superiority over Scripture. Um, and so if we look at some historical account that parallels something we see in Scripture, um, some people will look at it and say, oh, well, the historical account doesn't exactly match what we see in Scripture, and so the Scripture just must have got this wrong. Uh, we'll just we'll just go with what this you know secular historian said and say that's that we can trust that completely and look at the Bible and say oh well we can't trust that because those were religious folks and we know that they're not you know they don't they don't handle things accurately um, and it should be obvious that that's a pretty biased perspective um, 
I mean, if we were just looking at, you know, both of these works just from the perspective of these are just ancient writings, we should, you know, probably just try to weigh, you know, which one looks like it's being more faithful and do our, you know, our best to guess. Um, but also, there's a great deal of theology behind what the the Bible is. It's the Word of God. It's the um, it's the inerrant God-breathed scriptures. And so when we come at it from that perspective, then obviously we should look at it and say, well, the Bible is going to have it right. The Bible is not going to uh, record erroneous accounts of what happened in history. And um, there's certainly plenty of examples uh, in history, and if you just look on the news, um, that people don't always tell things exactly the way they are. There's often uh, political reasons that people will want to kind of spin the truth a little bit. Um, and so that's definitely something to keep in the, uh, consideration because, I mean, even in the ancient world, uh, people would spin the truth uh, for their own political gains. So um, we, we definitely don't want to put things um, outside of Scripture in a position of superiority over the Scripture. Uh, but we also don't want to come at it from the perspective of, well, all I really need is the Bible, and the Spirit's just going to guide me to a perfect understanding of this. I don't need any of this historical context stuff. And this kind of harkens back to what we talked about when we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. Um, but the, the reality is, is that all of truth is God's truth. Um, if something actually happened in history... Um, I mean, that's that's just a part of God's providence in governing the world. Um, it's not the wisdom of the world. It's a part of God's truth and should be used to inform us as we attempt to interpret the scripture. Um, again, the scripture, that's, that's, the, that's the word of God, and it's going to have the, the ultimate authority. But we can help, we can, we can use historical uh, we can use history to help us to interpret the Bible correctly um, the people of the day would have been aware of a lot of these things that we're talking about and so they would have been expected to use those things as they interpret scripture and we just need to be able to get back to that because we're just so far separated from it any thoughts on any of that? Any questions? All pretty clear. One thing that we should do as we are um, looking at historical context, um, and again, I'll emphasize, this can come either from inside the Bible itself or from extra sources. Um, but when we consider a book... Um, a lot of times, and obviously it's a good idea to to attempt to interpret the Bible in terms of like looking at a book and saying, well, what's the historical context of this book? Um, because, you know, obviously we can pull out individual verses or individual chapters, but the Bible wasn't written that way. It was written um, book by book. Um, and so we can look at uh, questions about like who, who was the author of this book? Um, when were they writing? Um, where were they when they wrote? Who were they writing to? 
consider questions of like what were the things that were facing their audience? Uh, what were the things in the place where they were writing that would have um, maybe influenced the types of things that they were thinking about? Um, what is this particular author's uh, background knowledge? What is this particular author's style? Um, these are things that are all going to help inform us in various ways as we interpret the scriptures. Okay, so let's see what happens next. Um, 1979, another thing that we need to consider is uh, things like geography. Uh, it's really handy when you're studying the Bible to have access to maps um, and also discussions of um, locations of places because sometimes things in the ancient world there's there's debate about well did this city exist here or did it exist there um, those are things that uh, we definitely should be looking into and they can help inform us uh, as to what was going on um, another thing that is related to geography um, in our modern day we often, if we talk about going up somewhere or going down somewhere, we have a tendency to relate that to if we're going north, we're going up somewhere. If we're going south, we're going down somewhere. Well, in the Bible times, they didn't think that way. They had not established that, oh, when you draw a map, you always put north at the top. Um, many ancient maps north was pointing somewhere other than the top of the map. Uh, they didn't have a, a consensus on how to do that. And so uh, when you see things in the Bible where they're talking about going up somewhere or down somewhere, they are talking about elevation. Um, so that's something to consider because sometimes people have looked at things in the Bible and they've said, oh, well, it says he went up, but he was going south. Contradiction in the Bible. It's like, well, no, he was, he was going up in elevation. So... Um, that's a that's a historical context thing. That's an anachronism thing where it's like well, we just. You know, I know for all of my life that's that's the way you make maps is you put north at the top, and so just kind of think well that's isn't that the way everybody thinks? But no, it's not. Um, that's it may be the way that everybody at least in Western civilization thinks at this particular time in history, but uh, that's not really the case throughout all of history. Um, now, doing this uh, this work and making yourself familiar with the historical context can be pretty tricky. There's not like a single source you can go to that's just going to answer all these questions. Uh, now, various people have written books that basically are attempting to be a broad overview of this question, historical context. And so um, there's, I'm sure there's a large number of books you can go to. Uh, one of the common places that people will go to is commentaries. Now, in the future, we are going to be uh, focusing on like what resources to use as you're doing Bible study. But you know, just to mention, it's like commentaries are a good place to go. Um, commentaries are going to discuss these type of things. They're going to provide you with information. Oftentimes, they'll uh, provide you with their sources of information, and so you can go uh, track down and do further research. Um, but also just having a good Bible atlas. Um, and, you know, there's also the Internet. It's, it's amazing what you can find just by doing a search on the Internet. Um, now, obviously, um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of paying attention to what your sources are, and just because it's somewhere in print doesn't mean that it's true. 
Um, so it's like, oh, well, I found some website on the internet that said this. It's like, well, okay, um, is that a credible website? Um, so obviously you want to check those things out. Um, but, you know, and Bible encyclopedias, uh, various sources like that can help give you the information that you need. Um, but it's definitely, a, again, a very important topic. So just to basically see if we can try to do a little bit of an exercise in this, um, I, I gave you a handout here. Um, I'm going to try to give you a little more time than I've been giving because this is potentially quite a bit of stuff. Um, but we have a, an incident recorded in the fourth uh, chapter of the Gospel of John uh, where Jesus goes to Samaria and he talks to a woman at a well. And there are various things that come up in that text that we can have a better understanding of if we have some notion of historical context. Um, and you know, some of it is provided in the text itself, uh, but some of it is not. Some of it is just it's just assumed that we're going to have some understanding of that. And so, um, what I've done is I've I've kind of pulled together a handful of places in the Bible where things that are related to this are discussed. Um, and so, I, I hope everybody has a has a copy of the Bible or can pull it up on their phone or something like that because it's it's entirely too much to just put on a piece of paper. Uh, but the text itself is there, uh, the John 4 text. Um, and so what I'd like you to do is, is just spend some time, read through the, the passage to familiarize yourself with it, and then go look at that other, those other passages. Um, and, I mean, as you're reading through the John 4 passage, just consider the question of, like, what in here might historical context help us to understand? And then um, go ahead and look through the other passages that I've listed there, and you, know, you can spread it out to a larger context than you know than the individual verses I've cited, if you'd like. Um, and just try to like say, okay, what what does this do to inform us about the historical context? And you're free to go beyond the passages I've listed here. If, if there's something else that just pops into your mind, or if you you know, have some resource on your phone or, you know, you want to search the internet on your phone or whatever to see if you can come up with um, other things that can help inform us on the historical context. You're welcome to do that. But anyway, so I want to give you at least 15 minutes um, to just work through this and just do an exercise, basically, in attempting to bring historical context to bear on this passage in John 4.
for blind Saul was growing more and more powerful. 
And so they were trying to kill this new follower of Jesus because they saw that he had influence, that he was teaching people these things. So how did Saul escape the persecution? In a basket, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So let's see what happens next. Verse 26 to 31. It says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, remember Saul's been let down in the basket, now he's been back to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Okay? Remember, last week we talked about how after Stephen was martyred, um, the disciples uh, scattered, right? To Judea, Samaria, and the earth. So they were trying to get away. It's also in the gospel went out for But who stayed in Jerusalem? It was the original disciples, the apostles, right? Okay, they stayed there. Yes. Saul continued to suffer for being a Christian, 
but the church is now enjoying a time of peace. Okay? We see that as salt in the believer. Then the church in Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And the last phrase it says, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. What did it? The church, exactly. Okay, so let's keep reading now. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals me. Rise and make the bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him as they turned to the Lord. Okay? So now we're back to Peter, right? Remember, can you tell me a little bit about Peter? He's a disciple. What can, we, what can we learn about Peter in terms of... Made them beautiful clothing, 
a lot to look at. You still need a few minutes? Or? I see lots of heads still down, so I'll give you a few more minutes.
Information, huh? 
Tim's ready to go. just got five minutes left so we should probably just uh, attempt to discuss what we've what we've talked about so hopefully you you gain something from what you looked at so um, so thoughts what what do people think what did you what did you discover or even like what questions did you have as you were looking at, at John 4 Well, you can sort of see the um, the tension between mm-hmm. the Samaritans and, and the Jews, and, mm-hmm. and just the historical background about how those were people that were imported, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you know, still continued to do their own religion, but then also sort of mixed in the religion of God as the king brought priests mm-hmm. in to teach them how to do it and stuff like that. Right. So you can see that there's, you know, like we're the pure Jews, you're the, the mixed bloods. And, right. And there's that yeah. tension there between yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you, you see, you see you know, like the the mention there in verse 9, you know, for Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. You know, so it's, it's kind of, you know, stated that that information is provided there, but you don't really have much background as to why that is. Uh, but yeah, the the history of the basically the, the the people of Israel being deported and a bunch of people from outside being imported into that area definitely gives you a, a better picture of what's going on there. Any other thoughts? Well, I bet it was. Your mom's a good Yes, um, I, I'm just drawing a blank as far as references right now, but um, Israel, Israelites that um, intermixed with other cultures were um, considered to be set apart or, or outcast, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I think it's and, in Nehemiah that there's a lot of that discussion because they were marrying people that were not... Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that would uh, apply to why, even though because in Second Kings it talks about all of northern Israel being removed. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that was literally every single right. occupant. Right. Yeah. So when others from Babylon and other places were brought mm-hmm. in, there was intermarrying, and mm-hmm. so you have mixed right. lineage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that mixed lineage would make them, in the eyes of Judah and Benjamin, to be. Uh, unclean or outcast or, or uh, which would be the, the basis of why they would reject them instead of saying hey well you know you're at least my half brother mm-hmm, right but instead no we can't have dealings with you mm-hmm. right yeah that's absolutely right any other thoughts anybody get through the Ezra 4 passage Kind of, I mean, it's very much related. To, yeah, exactly. The um, the uh, North Israel had come. Those people who were occupying Samaria 
came to um, the descendants of those who returned from the Babylonian exile who were commanded to rebuild the temple came to them and said hey we worship the same God mm-hmm. not really but right uh-huh. yeah let, can, we want to help uh-huh. and they said no we can't you, we don't want no dealings with you right and so they took great offense to that and mm-hmm. then started to hamper their efforts right yeah they managed to get the building of the temple shut down for a little while mm-hmm. um, one thing that uh, Hendrickson said in his commentary, um, I don't have all the sources for it, but I'm assuming he knows what he's talking about. It says the Samaritans hated the Jews and subsequently built their own temple on Mount Garrison. Uh, this was destroyed by one of the Maccabean rulers, John Hyrcanus, uh, about the year 128 BC. The worshippers, however, continued to offer their abominations on the summit of the hill uh, where, uh, the, uh, where the sacred edifice had stood. So... Um, there's just a little information there that apparently they had actually built a temple. So um, that makes a look that gives us a little more information where the Samaritan woman says, "Oh, well, you guys say we all worship in Jerusalem, and, and we worship here on this mountain." Um, so you get a little picture of that. Anything else? get a chance to look at any of that information in the, the book of Genesis and, and the book of Joshua that I had listed there? No? Sorry. That was, that was just the history of how the field was bought. Uh-huh, yeah. So it, yeah, it, dis- it discusses Jacob buying the field um, and giving it to his son Joseph. Um, and so the, the that's made reference to in this text here in John 4. So you see pictures of that. Interestingly enough, um, you don't see anywhere in the scriptures where it talks about uh, this well being dug, um, and so I mean we just you know we just have to assume that you know that 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 was something that people understood that he had that Jacob had uh, had uh, had dug that well there. But it is interesting um, that in the passage where um, where Jacob is. Telling Joseph that he's, you know, that, that he's giving it to him, he's giving that property to him. Uh, that's Genesis 48 and verse 22. It says, "Moreover, I have given uh, to you, rather than to your brothers, uh, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites uh, with my sword and with my bow." And assuming that that's referring to the same thing, um, then the, the question is, was like, well, if he bought it, then why did he have to do that? And the fact is, you often had a great deal of conflict, um, you know, over property and wells. And so I, I know, it's, I think it's the last thing I have listed there. Um, there's a, a section in Genesis 26, verses 12 through 22, which is Isaac, not Jacob, but um, Jacob's father Isaac. And he was digging wells, and he would dig a well, and then his neighbors would dispute over it, and he'd move on, and he'd dig another well, and they, you know, had another dispute. So he had all sorts of trouble, uh, you know, on land disputes and well disputes. So it definitely would make sense that, you know, that Jacob could have dug this well, and then had to basically fight to maintain his rights over this well. Um, so 
I apologize for just the length of material I gave you guys to look at for that, but um, hopefully it was at least somewhat informative and gives you some idea of the types of things you should be doing when you're considering bringing historical context to bear on interpretations of passages of scripture. Yes, you can you can definitely look through uh, the Bible and see a lot of historical context provided there. Uh, but then you also you know should go to places like commentaries and uh, encyclopedias and maps and, and things like that uh, and just books on historical context to help give you a better idea uh, and it'll hopefully um, help to uh, unlock some things and make it easier to properly uh, interpret particular passages of scripture. So anyway, so that is all the time we have so let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, we do thank you that you have provided your word to us and that it is uh, rich and full and that it is uh, based in history. It is not uh, some fable or a collection of wisdom sayings, but it is uh, your working out your redemptive purposes uh, in all of history uh, using uh, all sorts of people um, both the redeemed and the unredeemed, uh, to accomplish um, your great purposes. And God, I just pray that you would guide us as we seek to read your word, to understand it properly, and to just know how you have worked in history. And God, that it would guide us as we seek to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. And uh, Lord, just that you would be with us as we continue to worship you this morning. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.